Welcome to the third annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. Please support these companies. They took the time to educate us during this conference. Introduction to aquaponics. I've pretty much all figured I would um, start off with a uh, what is aquaponics for you folks who really aren't familiar. Uh, obviously, most of you guys out there who are watching this are going to be um, familiar with what aquaponics is. It's um, the merging of both aquaculture, which is the farming of fish in either um, wild environments in cages, pens, or tanks, and also the growing of hydroponic plants in a soilless medium, which no doubt the majority of you folks are all familiar with. Luckily enough, uh, aquaponics has a couple of little friendly helpers that gets them to work together and that's the bacteria. The bacteria pretty much will are the driving force of aquaponics. Um, you have a couple of different varieties. You have ammonia oxidizing ones that will oxidize the waste generated by the fish, both ammonia and ammonium, into nitrite. And then you have nitrobacter and other um, nitrite oxidizing bacteria that will then convert that nitrite into plant available um, nitrate even though there are other forms of nitrogen that are plant available as well. And they're all part of a happy ecosystem and it's pretty much all the bacteria that gets the, uh, the aquaculture and the hydroponics uh, working together. Um, the cycle is pretty basic. Um, as you can see, you have some fish food. You feed that to the fish. Uh, the protein within that food is converted into waste ammonia and ammonium, which is excreted out of the fish's gills. And then the bacteria get to work, the nitrous ammonas and other bacteria converted to nitrite. And then again, the nitrobacter and other bacteria converted into nitrate. It's available to the plants. It's clean from the water and it's safe for the fish to basically swim in that environment due to the low nitrate levels. When we decide to set up our aquaponic system, we pretty much will have to create our own little nitrogen cycle um, so we can get the fish in clean water, basically, uh, take care of all that ammonium and ammonia that they release themselves. So what we tend to do is cycle the system. That's what people pretty much all call it, a bit of a common term. Um, so we're actually creating a nitrogen cycle and we're doing so by adding an ammonium source. Uh, the popular ones are things like ammonium hydroxide, which is cleaning ammonia with no perfumes or um, surfacants or soaps in it, anything like that. Um, ammonium chloride, which is big in the uh, aquarium trade. Uh, there's a couple of branded products that are based on this. Uh, you can even use things such as Charlie Carp or fish emulsion, uh, which is made from a pest species here in Australia. And I think Maxicrop is a version of fish emulsion over in the States. And you can also use the fish feed you intend to feed the fish themselves, basically by dosing the system with the uh, same amount you'd be feeding your fingerlings or new fish um, on a daily basis to create that cycle. Uh, now, what you will need though is a test kit. So you can monitor the uh, elevation of the ammonia within the system and know how the cycling is going, the cycling process. Uh, can take anywhere up to a couple of months, uh, depending on your climate, uh, where you live, the heat, and also the ammonia source. Uh, but for our climate here, uh, we're in the subtropics. You can see up there, day one, we got an ammonia reading pretty much well straight away. Day four, the ammonia had pretty much well disappeared. That's probably because I was using some recycled medium from an earlier system. But we got a spike in the nitrite 
which went up to around about, I'd say, between 0.25 and 0.5 parts per million. And we started to see a little bit of nitrate um, accumulate in that end test. And then day seven, um, the nitrite climbed higher, so did the nitrate. And by day 14, we only had trace amount of ammonia, which is something you will find in most aquaponic systems. Zero nitrite, which means those bacteria getting in there and doing their job, and elevated levels of nitrate. So pretty much all by those readings, I could tell the system was cycled. And this chart down here gives you a little bit of an idea on what goes on. Um, you get a raise in your ammonia level until the bacteria kick in and start to oxidize the nitrite. And around about the same time, you get those nitrite oxidizing bacteria coming in and raising the nitrate level. And yeah, once you see the levels drop right down, you know your uh, um, system is pretty much well cycled. And there's a couple of easy ways to kickstart the system. Uh, like I mentioned, um, I had, had old medium. Uh, which had a little bit of bacteria already on there. So I kickstarted the system that way. So if you know someone with a system already or a healthy aquarium even, uh, get some of that filter material or some media from their system, pop it in your grow beds and away you go. Uh, a little bit of a kickstart of that cycling uh, process. So that's pretty much all how you started out to look after the ammonia, uh, the nitrite and the nitrate. Um, so the fish can live in a friendly environment, but there's other microorganisms and biota in the systems as well. You'll find they naturally occur when you um, plant um, your seedlings in, if they've been grown in a compost mix, um, quite often they will come in from the air. Um, the addition of compost worms, which we use to um, chew through the uh, leftover roots and any organic matter that has fallen um, on the surface of the beds, um, they will also have some of these microorganisms on them. Um, things like protozoa, nematodes, and even fungi, um, which I'm sure you guys have already heard about a bit, mycorrhiza uh, through the last uh, 48 hours. Um, they can occur in aquaponics as well. Um, sometimes they're introduced and sometimes they'll just turn up um, out of the blue. Uh, most people, by the way, don't test for these sort of things, don't um, look for the samples, but it is possible to find them in systems. Next up, uh, how a basic aquaponic system works. It's um, pretty easy, really. Um, you've got a load of fish down in the fish tank and they're excreting ammonia plus other solid waste out the other end. And that is being picked up by a pump of some description and delivered into a grow bed. Now this grow bed provides the home for the bacteria. Uh, the bacteria are um, living on the media itself. They're being supplied food from the bacteria. They're being supplied oxygen um, as the beds flood and drain, if it's a flood and drain bed, or from the well oxygenated water in this fish tank. Don't pay attention to this fish tank. It should have air stones in it as well, but you know, um, it was a bit of a rush job. And from there, uh, the bacteria convert um, the ammonia all the way through to nitrate, where it is taken up by the plants. And ultimately that nitrate is removed from the system as we harvest it uh, for our own consumption. So it's a pretty basic, easy cycle to follow along. Uh, it's just imperative that before we add fish to most systems that we do set up this cycling, uh, this nitrogen cycle. Uh, so we can look after all the ammonia and ammonium uh, generated by the fish. Now to make your own little backyard aquaponic system is pretty basic. Uh, there's all sorts of equipment you can use. Um, old fish tanks, now loads of people uh, use old fish tanks. Uh, a food grade suitable plastic, uh, whether it's a concrete mixing tray, some sort of storage tote, 
and or some sort of large tub. Um, they're great for starting off small little aquaponic systems, either on verandas or on decks or patios, whatever, or even inside under lights. Uh, but do try and make sure that they are um, UV stabilized and also that they're made from food grade plastic. And these are just a couple of examples of the sorts of things you can make from these little um, um, tanks and whatnot. Um, over here in the top left-hand corner, uh, we have just a basic little tote system. It is a couple of totes, one a little bit smaller than the other, a little goldfish down the bottom there, clay balls with a bell siphon, very cheap to make. Uh, this one here was a picture sent in by Lewis. Again, a larger tote down the bottom with a bit of shade covering for the fish. And then the water is pumped up through a little canister filter at the back there. And then that overflows into a media bed, which by the looks of it, has a little bit of a um, flood and drain style uh, bell siphon on there. And Gurkhan here in Australia, he's basically set up a little tray over the top of his fish pond, um, aerated nicely through a little waterfall that overflows into the pond itself. So even ponds in the backyard can be utilized into aquaponic systems. Uh, mate Anthony um, runs an Australian aquaponics group. He set up this real kick-ass uh, aquaponics system in his kitchen, basically a nice long aquarium down the bottom, and then goes straight up into a grow bed, and you might be able to see some lights up there. I think they're a spider farmer light, LED light, uh, that um, illuminate the grow bed right there in the kitchen, right next to his fridge. And a couple of more aquarium examples, pretty basic flood and drain looking jobbies. Um, some are just bench top units. Others, you can actually build a nice little um, arrangements to go around them to get them fit into the decor. And this one from Jayandra here, also in Australia, is uh, pretty kick-ass as well. A basic little aquarium down the wall, a little feature with some pots uh, that run from one level down to the other, all the way back down into the fish tank. So there's many different ways you can set up these little um, aquaponic systems if you just want to get your feet wet with a couple of um, uh, with a little uh, you know trial run with fish tanks or totes or whatever. Now, if you want to go a little bit bigger, you've got things that uh, make it a little bit cheaper. Things like the recycled uh, drums, 50 gallon, 200 liter drums, smaller ones. That one there's about a 50 liter, um, so probably about a 12 gallon drum. IBC totes generally around about 265 gallons or a thousand liters, or even though you can get some a little bit larger. And you can find these on places like Craigslist and um, over here in Australia, Gumtree and places like that. Um, I've picked up IBCs as little as 50 bucks each. Anywhere up to this black one here cost me about 150 each from memory because they are um, UV stabilized and no light can penetrate which just makes them a little bit um, easier to work with later on down the track when there's a lot of nutrient-rich water in there. A bit of a few examples of little barrel systems. Uh, this was our first aquaponic system, actually, um, made by barrels that were washed up through the 2011 floods we found around the place, washed them out and turned them into a couple of grow beds. And down the bottom, we had another 50-gallon, 200-litre barrel, and that hosed a host of goldfish and some yabbies and just created a small little basic flood and drain system. Water enters in the back, and just when the, um, the bell siphons were triggered, it just flowed directly down into the base. And we found we had so much air flowing through there that we, uh, through the splashing of water, we didn't actually have any um, air stones in that little jobby. Uh, down here, we've got a little chop and flip jobby. Uh, it's a barrel, you chop the top off, flip it over, a little inlet on the left-hand side, a bell siphon on the right-hand side, and just the water cycling through. And not, a, not something I'd throw fish in, um, table fish as such, just little ornamental fish, 
and yeah, grew us a load of herbs and greens. That one was actually cycled using urine, which you can also use as a fertilizer as well. Uh, but we cycled that one with urine before the fish went in, uh, took off nicely, as you can see, some very, very green looking plants there. And over here, we have a submission from Chris. He did a chop and flip barrel, slightly different due to the top of the barrel that he was using. Um, but the barrel down the bottom actually has some goldfish in it. And he was growing a couple of strawberries up the top, just in some river rock, and it grew very well for him. And in fact, I think it's still growing to this day. Next, some slightly larger examples using those totes. Um, here, Andrew's got a little chop and flip system inside under some LED lights. Basically the same idea, you get the IBC, you chop the top section off, you set it up above the, the, the base, which becomes a fish tank, and you pop a couple of fish in there, a bell siphon in the front corner, and basically floods and drains under lights. Uh, Kim went a little bit further. Um, she actually used, the, by the looks of it, the base of another IBC to create a grow bed on top of a whole IBC uh, with a little canister filter in the corner there, which we'll see in a minute. And that basically, um, yeah, turns into a larger fish tank, something you could throw a few more fish in as long as you've got enough biofiltration to um, look after the waste. The Steve Lee over here, he's basically made a chop and flip, clad it with some old um, pallet boards by the look of it, make it look a little bit more schmicko. And Teal's made up one using a whole IBC with an extra grow bed off to one side uh, just to utilize the amount of waste that the fish will generate because you'll find even in a small little tote system like this, they generate more than enough waste to um, run probably around about uh, two square meters or 18 square foot of grow bed, or especially greens as they're not very nutrient demanding. Over here, chop and flip, just run through the steps. You basically get an IBC, chop the cage off, chop a top section off the IBC itself. You can either take out a small section, depending on what you want to do with it later, or just leave it nice and tall. I'll pop the grow bed on the top using some timber slats underneath, using the cage saved from the first chop. And you have a fish tank down the bottom, uh, pump in one corner. I like to use bell siphons just to regulate the amount of air that goes down through the media. And then you plant it out with some plants on top and pop a couple of fish down the bottom. Pretty simple, takes an afternoon to knock up. And I think this unit here uh, cost me Australian around about $200 before I bought the clay. You can use ribald rock, which is fairly cheap. Uh, the clay, I think, set me back around about $350 for that. So I bought the total up to around about 500 bucks. So if you use recycled things, you know, only comes in about a couple of hundred bucks if you're using the suitable river rock. Uh, now, there is a few different schools of thought when it comes to filtering these small little backyard jobbies. Uh, some people say that you need to leave all the muck in the system because that's what the plants grow on. I think you'll find there's enough suspended nutrients just in the water itself that most plants will do fine as long as you're feeding the fish well and the tanks are well stocked. Uh, one of the reasons I like to filter is because these large root systems, as you can see, can create uh, catch a lot of muck. And as these root systems develop, those roots can entangle a lot of medium. Basically, what can happen doesn't happen all the time, but what can happen is you can't get enough water exchange through those areas. So all these solids start to break down and without any oxygen around them, one possibility is that the bacteria start to rob oxygen from the NO3, which is the nitrate, converting it back to NO2. You can end up with a nitrite spike. And if you haven't um, taken the proper precautions, I like adding chloride to the system, you can end up with brown blood disease and killing the fish. 
not only that, um, if it gets really bad, they can start to uh, break down and you can release things like um, uh, harmful chemicals like sulfur and whatnot into the system, which can also cause hassles, not only for plant growth, but also fish um, health. Now, I like to um, set up these small little basic canister filters in these chop and flip jobbies. The main reason being, I'll give you a brief explanation. And this one here, we have a bit of pipe coming through the side. There's a uni seal, which is a rubber seal. You can buy them in my shop if you're in Australia. Um, a little uni seal that allows the pipe to run through and runs vertical. Um, so you have a drain on the outside, a vertical pipe on the inside. The water is picked up by the pump. And because the pump smashes it together, um, it basically breaks it up. They're very fine solids. The water enters through this hose that goes into the bottom. See me pointing to a small hole under my hand there. Uh, that's to stop the, um, the, the filter from siphoning back down into the pump, if they, uh, into the sump tank or the fish tank. If the pump is turned off, just breaks the siphon. And then over the top of that hose and then around this exit pipe, we pack a whole heap of material. I like to use chaise cloths because I have a lot around. Um, you can also use things like bird netting. I've seen people use things like bottle caps as well to capture those solids and to filter them out. Also adds a little bit of biofiltration into the system. Um, once it's all packed in tight, you turn the water on. And as you can see, clean water comes out the top and then down over into that fill tube. You might be able to see this little hole here, uh, it's bubbling a bit. Um, that's basically allowing a little bit of water to come out, but it also stops the siphoning, as I said, if uh, the pump turns off all that dirty water going back down the bottom. Now, this is a filter I'm about to clean. You can see in the top right-hand corner and around the, um, the drain there, the water's nice and clean. But all you need to do is um, top, pull off this top layer, and you can see the amount of crud that is captured underneath. This was after about two weeks of running. Uh, a couple of different layers, and it just gives you some idea of the amount of filth that these little basic filters can capture. And you might be able to see I've got a nut and tail jobby over there just so it's easily removable from the system. Uh, turn the pump off, unscrew a simple fitting, take it out and give it a clean every week or so. Now, another basic filter that I like to use is a settling filter. There's a couple of different ones, or different ones around. This one here is called a radial flow settler. This is from our first system, uh, 40 mil pipe running into the side of the filter and there is a stilling well in the center. The water is delivered into that stilling well, and then clean water is sent out the side. This is a larger jobby, 50 gallon drum, 200 liter drum. You can see the stilling well in the center there. I just pulled the cap off of. That has got water being delivered to it from this little line that is coming in through the fish tank. It is low enough so it can go under the edge of that stilling well, up through the top of the stilling well and delivers water inside. Clean water again exits outside. So what happens is the water comes in at a certain velocity, just flowing rather fast. As soon as it exits that stilling well, because it's in a larger environment, the um, solid particulate starts to slow down, the velocity slows down and they can settle out on the base. And that clean water again is allowed to go to the surface and out that side. And down here, I have a little fines filter in the um, sump tank and it just traps any of the finer solids. So these sorts of filters work best on larger systems that are multi-bed where you have a dedicated fish tank I found. Next slide, this is what it looks like in the base of a radial flow settler after a week of feed. The fish were around about 300 grams at this point in time, um, which is uh, almost two thirds-ish of a pound. And yeah, so they were getting a load of food and um, this is the sort of solid particulate that you can expect 
And down here, I have a little drain fitting, a lot of suspended solids just because I've drained the reservoir, the filter down to a certain position. I like to pump them out either onto a garden bed, it's what I used to do, uh, feed, this is actually under our lime tree. But what I do now is connect a um, pump and deliver them into a mineralization tank. This mineralization tank has air running through it, uh, helps to mineralize those solids and makes them plant available again. I also add in carbon sources to feed the bacteria, uh, the aerobic bacteria. And after a while, what I'll do is about a week or so, I turn it off, let the particulate settle, take off the clean water from the top and then that um, or cleanish water full of nutrients that gets directed directly into the grow bed to give them a little bit of an extra feed all those minerals that have been mineralized out of that solid waste this is what they call a single loop system uh, mainly because the water is traveling in one loop coming up from the pump um, going into the fish tank the water entering the fish tank Oh, also some air stones in there, just point that out. The water is entering the fish tank and it is displacing water out this pipework here called a solids lifting outlet. Uh, it's basically got a T in the top, um, so a, a siphon can't occur. The water comes out, drowned into that radial flow settler you saw before. Uh, the solids then fall out of suspension, collect on the bottom to be taken out later. The clean water um, can then move out the top through a pipe and delivered directly into the grow beds, um, which in this case are run by uh, bell siphons, flooding and draining. And it is then delivered into the sump tank and that's what makes it a single loop. Water's picked up again and then taken it straight out into the grow bed, uh, into the fish tank and the cycle just loops around. Now this is a split flow system. Uh, this system here is very similar uh, in that it has the same basic setup. It has a sump tank, uh, the, fish, uh, the fish tank, the settler, and some grow beds. Now, the big difference is the way the water flows. The water comes up to a point where it is split. You have one lot traveling out to the fish tank or the fish side of things, the aquaculture, and the other to the hydroponics or the plant grow side of the system. Uh, pretty much all the same as the split flow, as the single loop as it comes to the um, the fish water comes in through the fish tank solids are collected and then the water is delivered back down into the sump tank myself and many others like to add some sort of biofiltration into that sump tank otherwise basically what's going to happen is you're going to get ammonia rich water go into the sump tank picked up by the pump and delivered back into the fish tank uh, nine times out of ten that is going to be fine but there's always that one occasion where you have a warmer day or the ph fluctuates a bit the ammonia is in the presence the ammonium is in the presence of ammonia it can be toxic to the fish um, so i like to add some sort of biofiltration in there um, if you want to learn more about that um, jump onto my youtube channel there's other videos that explain um, the ammonia side of things or buy my guide i don't mind i think steve's got a link somewhere for that um and yeah so this basically looks after that ammonia before it is pumped back into the fish tank um not required um in lightly stocked systems but a lot of people like to push the limits and it can be a bit of an issue um so basically i like to put that in there it can be as simple as a bit of netting um in a um slotted basket in the sump tank or you can get a little bit more involved like i have with our systems and i've set it up a set up a dedicated moving bed bioreactor in here basically we have the same situation as a grow bed whole heap of uh, bacteria living on these little uh, pizza wheels in here and they are um, converting that ammonia all the way through to nitrate before it moves on anywhere else in the system that way the fish are protected so we basically have the um, 
fish, as I showed before. I've forgotten what I've done. Oh, here we go. We're coming back to the plant side. So that's one um, way the water flows. The other way, it's split off into the grow beds themselves. And here we have some valves that regulate the flow into the grow bed. They can come in handy when it comes to either isolating the grow bed. So there is, um, if you want to do a treatment on the system, say spray for pest or whatever, um, using a neem oil, which can be toxic to fish in certain ratios and crustaceans if you have them in the system. You can isolate the grow beds, keep them running through the biofilter, um, the, the fish side of things, basically creating a mini aquaculture system. After 48 hours, you can then reintroduce the grow beds into um, the loop again, and you're not gonna have any issues with um, a toxic buildup for the fish. Um, so yeah, that's one reason why I like this system. It can be isolated. Uh, it also comes in handy if you're running multiple different grow techniques, say like rafts or NFT that require a much slower flow rate. Um, being able to moderate that flow rate um, with water directly from the pump and valves just makes it a lot easier to run um, than with a split loop where you've got all the water coming, uh, sorry, a single loop where you've got all the water coming through at once and you're dealing with a high velocity of water or high flow rate. And yep, after that, uh, the water goes through the grow beds. It just goes down into the sump tank where it mingles again. I've had people say that, well, aren't you delivering a lot of um, nutrient less water? Um, you're basically dissolving the nutrients from the fish side of things in with air going back to the uh, the grow bed cycle. Uh, Steve and all the other growers on here who have um, probably been talking um, that have used this sort of split flow system, they will tell you there is more than enough nutrients in a, a decently stocked system that a little bit of watering down after it's been taken out by the plants really isn't going to affect your grow whatsoever. Um, as long as you do have that, you know, reasonable stock level and you have a lot of um, nutrients going through with a decent feed ratio. So um, yeah, I hope that's helped explain the split flow system. Generally, it takes a lot longer to explain these things, so I'm sort of rushing through. Uh, with those tanks, the IBCs, as I mentioned, they can be opaque, letting some UV light in there. Because we're dealing with a lot of nutrient in there, we can cause algal buildup on the walls. So here's a couple of examples on how we've clad them or shielded them. I've used a uh, paint on the outside, very hard to get it st to stick on there. Um, some people swear by sanding a little bit and then uh, painting on. Um, for some reason, our stuck for about four or five years, so it worked really well. I painted the surfaces of the sump tank, the grow beds and fish tank. Over here, our aquaculture system uh, looks like something that's um, landed on Mars, basically used sarking from a house because it was available at the time, just wrapped it in that and that kept the UV light out. Um, some of that sarking still exists to the to today. It's held up really well. So we're looking at around about eight years worth of exposure there. Um, ben clad his in old pallets, as you saw with the chop and flip before. Uh, a couple of linked IBCs there, a couple of little uh, grow beds on top. And yeah, they did really, really well. Actually, no, I think that's the actual lids on this incarnation. Um, yeah, just close it off, give them a bit of shelter. And Owen used some of that little reed landscaping um, material uh, just to clad his. Looks rather nice if you're into that sort of thing. So there are ways you can shield it from the UV and also make it look a little bit nicer. As for the pumps that run the system, I like using the little magnetic drive pumps. Uh, they tend to be fairly uh, power efficient these days. There's a couple of companies out there like JBAL uh, that are running little um, variable speed DC units. And yeah, I've found they work really well. One thing I would recommend is if you are running like I have on this fish tank here, some hose work, 
does pay to run a rigid solid PVC pipe as far as you can at the largest diameter uh, the pump will allow until you're getting to your grow beds or your fish tank. You're basically going to get a better flow rate from the pump that way than running a hose work. Um, this hose is a reinforced and has a smooth bore, but there's just enough little indentation that it picks up bits and pieces along the way, which retards the flow slightly. As for pumping uh, plumbing supplies, as you can see, these are the little barb fittings that I use uh, here in Australia. Um, very hard to get in the States. I'm actually going to start stocking them in the store. I've sold a few uh, to people who are inquiring over in the States. Just makes um, hooking up this um, food grade pipe a lot easier, or hose work, I should say, a lot easier and a lot cheaper in some cases than buying the PVC fittings. A couple of hints if you are buying the PVC fittings, uh, fittings uh, here in Australia, there's a couple of mum and pop uh, wholesalers online that will save you anywhere up to about 50% on components, even after shipping, when compared to certain big box stores that we all know about. Uh, when you're buying in bulk, they have a flat shipping fee and their prices are really reduced. So uh, probably the same in the States. If you shop around, they'll be a little bit cheaper than Lowe's and, that, and the like. Um, that tend to sell directly to the public. Uh, one thing I would recommend if you can, if you've got little uh, kids or a lot of people coming through your system, is looking for something like a valve, like this Sand King valve that has removable handles. Uh, makes it uh, a little bit more child friendly. I have had people turn valves off on me before and um, cause all sorts of hassles within a system or opening valves and having the radial flow settler run continually out to the garden. Luckily the fish were saved, but yeah, having the handles off there, does make for a um, a little bit more of a secure, more secure system. Your basic tools for the trays are just, as you can see, general handyman tools most of us will have around. Or if not, um, there may be a local men's shed or a tool hire, or even there's actually um, tool libraries in some places around that you can look up if you look up tool library and get a couple of um, a loan of a free tools and whatnot. Always give them a gold coin donation though if um, you are borrowing something. Uh, basic things like reciprocating saws, saber saws, drills, hole saws for drilling out your um, bulkhead and uniseal holes, uh, tape measures, markers, pipe cutters come in handy. Um, utility knife, you know, everything there is pretty basic um, sort of fare for most people's garages or back shed. Uh, flood and drain grow beds. Um, these are one of the things that help uh, the system run. Basically uh, helps get a lot of uh, oxygen into the bed for the plant roots, the biota, the bacteria, um, all the other life forms that you have there in the grow beds. Um, I like to use a bell siphon. I don't know why I've never really had the hassles with it. Some other people have had. Um, if you are interested in having hassles with bell siphons, I actually have a, all, uh, a 101 which shows you how to make them. Uh, mine work have worked for well, but loads of testimonials under the video, uh, work for ages, loads of testimonials under the videos. And it also includes troubleshooting guides for the most common mistakes, and they are very basic and easy to fix. Another common siphon you'll see around the place is a loop siphon. Um, I generally don't use these because the inlet is hidden by media, very hard to clean out roots and issues like that, unless you have a dedicated opening, uh, such as like you have here with a bell siphon and I figure. Well, a bell siphon is easy to uh, operate. It doesn't run into hassles with people moving the hose or other things occurring on the outside. So that's why I prefer them. Uh, U siphons, 
They work, work fine. Um, I had hassles with them after a while. They weren't initiating as well. I did find they were a little bit slower to drain. Not that that really matters, as long as you've got a decent flow rate going through the bed. Um, so that's why I pretty much all stuck with the bell siphons. But yep, these siphons work. A little bit hard to retrofit into arms if existing bell siphon um, setups though. And the other way people um, irrigate their beds is via flooding and draining using timers. So you basically got a standpipe that overflows while the water is on. The timer goes off and you've got this little hole down the base here in the standpipe and you can see the water exiting down the bottom there. Um, that basically over time um, will just drain the grow bed down. Generally speaking, 15 minute on, 35 minute off is what I found worked for my flow rate. Keeping in mind though, you do need the entire uh, volume of the fish tank in water. Say if it's a uh, 265 gallons or a thousand liter IBC, that needs to pass through the biofiltration, meaning your grow beds at least once an hour. Sorry, Bianca, I'm in the talk. Um, and yeah, so that needs to go through to uh, process the waste from the fish at least once an hour. So if you are flooding and draining using a timer, make sure you do have that flow rate um, go through the grow beds to make sure that waste is processed. Uh, the right grow bed media. Um, the best media to use in aquaponics is inert media, something that doesn't fluctuate pH. And so you've got your expanded clay like I like to use. Uh, blue metal or, or uh, basalt is a common road base, is a common rock here in Australia. You can get fairly cheaply. Uh, that works really well, a lot heavier than the clay or the other alternative, which is scoria or volcanic rock or expanded shale. See Rob uh, from Bigelow Brook Farm if you're after that uh, here on YouTube. Um, both of those, or these three here are light, the clay, the uh, scoria, volcanic rock and expanded shale. The blue metal and the river rocks that a lot of people use, they're rather heavy. So when you're designing your system, if you are going to use them, make sure you've got decent puddings so they can take the weight if you're just setting up out on the grass. Uh, simple uh, test as well if you are testing the rock to see if it is suitable. Um, pop it in some vinegar. Uh, vinegar is acidic. If there's any carbonate-based uh, rock within that rock blend, it will start to give off a steady stream of bubbles. Um, if you see that, uh, steer clear of that rock because over time it will uh, bring the pH of your system up to a point um, where it may be uh, hard for some elements to be taken up by the plants and uh, also cause you issues uh, with protecting the fish against um, uh, ammonia issues further on down the track, depending on how you run the system. Um, deep water culture, another way to grow your system. A lot of you guys are gonna be familiar with this. Uh, basically, you have a floating raft, uh, the plants grow through the holes in the base of the raft into nutrient-rich water below. Um, the basic backyard, you guys um, who are more experienced may have different flow rates depending on your feed rates and all whatnot. Uh, but the basic rule of thumb I give people in the backyard is you want the water within that grow bed to flow through around about once an hour at the fastest. So a fairly slow uh, flow rate, just so those plants have a lot of access to the nutrients within that water. In that water as well, you need a load of air. Um, Rob from Brigalow Brook Farm, he's using infusionate venturi uh, technology, um, something you can find over on his channel to help irrigate it uh, using excess pump flow. Uh, other people will run loads of air stones down there uh, every so many um, square foot uh, to get enough air in there to um, keep things like pythium away, but also too to provide um, air to the plant, roots of the plants because they do re um, require air. Uh, there's air pockets in soil, uh, so we need to provide it in the water. Uh, the next one is the um, nutrient film technique or NFT. 
it is basically a film of water that washes over a uh, channel or a rail. Uh, the roots of the plants grow down into it. Uh, the water uh, then exits down the end and flows back into your reservoir, be it the fish tank or the sump tank of the system. And yeah, it's just a continuous cycle, not a huge flow at all. Um, you will see people use uh, like the round um, uh, stormwater pipe here, and they have end caps on it, and they have a little, uh, basically probably about a couple of inches or um, an inch and a half or 40 mil of water in the base. That's sort of technically a deep water culture. The roots are always submerged. Um, this one here is just literally, as you can see, open end, just a film of water running down through the base. Both methods work though. Uh, aerating the system. Um, I like to use the little piston pumps. I have them suspended, um, as you can see here. Otherwise, they vibrate and make a load of noise. Um, otherwise, you can buy different um, uh, variations of the magnetic pumps. Um, and yeah, they just basically nice rubber feet. Um, they shake around a little bit, make a little bit of noise. Uh, but I found these jobbies here actually quieter than these ones um, when they're suspended and a little bit easier to do because they provide a suspension port. Um, another thing for smaller systems, you can get AC-DC systems. This little one here uh, runs on AC uh, while the power is on, has an internal switch. The power goes off and goes on to some um, lithium batteries within the unit. So you've got about, I think it's three or four hours worth of air in there. Not great for a large, uh, big IBC system, uh, over 260 gallons, a thousand liters, but for some of those smaller units, they work rather well. Uh, for those larger units, I prefer to use something that is a dedicated backup system. Uh, this is a little DC jobby, quite easy and legal to make. If you're here in Australia, we are allowed to work on the DC side of things. Uh, you just can't stuff around with the AC side. Um, it's just made up with a, a little switch here. Uh, it's plugged into a power source. Uh, the power source keeps the switch open. Um, as soon as the power goes off, the switch shuts and creates a circuit, as you can see here, um, that is set up on a couple of batteries and fires off your 12 volt pump. Uh, and there's plans on the Backyard Aquaponics uh, forum. That's where I got this idea up. I think it's Chainsaw. Uh, he posted it, so take a screenshot of that and look it up if you're interested. I've also got a video that runs through it on my channel if you want to suss it out over there. Uh, fish for the US, we have our bluegill or sunfish. I think they're the same family. Tilapia, um, tilapia, uh, your trout and your carp may not be, which is your koi and your goldfish, may not be legal in all states of America, same as here in Australia. So look into that before you just rush out and get them. Um, tilapia, great for the warm weather. Um, catfish, your um, channel and your bullhead, uh, they're pretty much all something that um, you can run in most areas from memory in the States. Then for the smaller systems, you've got your ornamentals like your goldfish, your guppies, your koi. Rainbow trout are a good choice for cooler areas. And there's a, there's a commercial place that's actually running salmon um, in the northeast from memory of the States. So there's loads. I mean, this is just a selection. There's loads of um, fish you can run. Uh, just depends on whether you want something to chew on or whether you want something just ornamental wise in a smaller system or you prefer not to partake of the flesh. Uh, in Australia, we got things like our um, go-to silver perch. They're good for the cooler and the warmer areas. 
Jade Perch, uh, they're what I run, uh, the Baku Grunters. They're good for warmer climates. Then you've got your Asian sea bass or barramundi, which I think some places run in the States as well commercially. A um, few places run jades actually over there commercially as well. Um, Barra works really well in North Queensland where it's nice and warm, cooler states. You need heating, otherwise they die um, under 18 degrees Celsius, which is something Fahrenheit. Um, on the, oh, we also have other, uh, other natives like the eeled tailed catfish or tandanus tandanus. Then we have our introduced species like redfin, uh, legal in New South Wales to keep these guys. They're a European perch, but they are legal in Victoria from memory. Uh, rainbow trout again, as long as got, as well as gold, golden trout and brown trout, I think are viable here in Australia. People also use bass as well. And I think a few people use bass in the States. And again, your ornamentals like koi, not legal in all states, illegal here in Queensland, and your other carp and uh, your goldfish and your um, guppies and things like that. Uh, how many fish in your system? I'll run through this really quick because we're running out of time. Uh, basically, what you need to do is work out the total volume of your grow bed. Uh, this is just basically a rule of thumb for you beginners starting out in aquaponics can be tweaked down the line there'll be a couple of people screaming in their chairs now saying, oh, you can have more. But anyway, uh, this is the way I like to do it so you don't lose your fish. Uh, allow for an inch or 25 mil from the top of your grow bed and 25 mil or an inch of um, dry media on top of your wet media to stop algal growth. And once you take off that amount from the height of the bed, you then work out the volume of your grow bed by measuring your length, your breadth and your height. And then you use that calculation to work out your volume. Then you work out that volume um, either in litres or in gallons by 25 litres per fish if you're working litres or 6.6 .6 gallons if you're working in gallons. And that will give you the amount of media that you need to have a large enough bacterial colony to process the feed given to a fish at 500 grams into nitrate. So you're not going to end up with any issues poisoning your fish down the line. Uh, there are caveats in that, uh, but uh, if you're starting out and you follow those guidelines, you're not going to have a problem whatsoever. Uh, just keeping in mind that you're looking at 500 grams of fish. So even if it's a fingerling and it grows up to 500 grams, that fingerling, you take it as being 500 grams because down the line, that's how big it's going to be. Uh, types of plants for aquaponics, uh, the go-to are the greens, the lettuces, um, things like cancong, your basils, your chards, um, they, onion greens, things like that. Um, they absolutely thrive on just the basic nutrient load of an aquaponic system. Uh, things like tomatoes, uh, fruiting plants, they work really well too. You may need to supplement uh, with a little bit of extra potassium um, just to help with the, the fruit formation and the general health of the plant uh, because they are a little bit more nutrient demanding, the uh, fruiting plants. Um, down here, you can see that we've got a bit of a combination of a few. Uh, we've got our greens, our beets at the start, uh, down the bottom, we've got a uh, brassia going to flower there, and we've got some snow peas up the back there, um, and they all do phenomenally well in an aquaponic system. Um, you can grow things as well, like blurry carrots. Uh, carrots work fairly well, I've found, if you grow the shorter varieties and not the longs. I think these are the short nants from memory. Um, I may be wrong. And you can even grow your rooting crops, another blurred picture, sorry about that. But we grew a fantastic crop of potatoes, some of the best I've ever grown in a dual root zone style. Uh, not the same exactly as Steve promotes, but slightly different. Um, as you can see, I've got a pouch in the background there sitting in some clay balls. 
and I uh, um, had a soil blend in there with certain rock mineral elements and I had the hydroponic or aquaponic water um, delivered hydroponically to the base and was wicking up through a sand layer and grew awesome um, ginger, as you can see there, and also a great uh, crop of spud. So I'm pretty much all sold on that method and I'll be exploring it a lot more down the line. Uh, just quickly with feeding the fish, I like to, to use the satiation method. So basically you weigh out a given amount of fish feed, uh, you put it in there with the fish, you basically wait until they stop eating it and just adding a little bit at a time towards the end. And then you weigh what's left over and subtract that from the original amount. And that's pretty much all. If you can work out how much that is in a cup measurement or whatever, just makes feeding the fish a lot easier. Uh, if you do it over a series of days, it gives you an average to work out on. And every month or two, if you notice they're smashing through the far, uh, food really fast, um, just do the same procedure again, weigh it out, uh, work out what a bit of a basic amount is, and then just throw it in. It just makes feeding the fish a lot easier. And you know the fish are getting enough nutrients to support the plant life on the hydroponic side of the system. Uh, the fingerlings, you can purchase them from a hatchery, catching them from the wild where legal. Some places it is legal to do that. Get excess fingerlings from friend systems. If you're um, luckily enough to grow things like uh, carp and tilapia, a lot of people find that they will reproduce within the systems uh, by themselves. So you might have mates into aquaponics um, who may have some that they can share around with you. When you do get new uh, fish though, if you're adding them into an established system with fish in it already, put them in quarantine first, um, just with their own water, just in case they do have some sort of disease or some sort of issue, so they don't um, spread it to the other fish. Uh, likewise, if you are adding fish even into a brand new system and they're small, um, add them into a little nursery area because you don't want them being sucked up through the pump if you have a pump in the system or taken out through your drain work and delivered into a grow bed. They don't like living in grow beds, I can tell you that. Um, put them in some sort of isolation tank. Uh, what you can see here on the right is basically a laundry basket with fly netting on the inside. I uh, probably should have had a few holes in the bottom as well because I did have a few solids build up and down in there, but that's enough to keep them isolated within there till they're a large enough size so they don't get sucked up and out through your drain work. And that is pretty much all it. Please support these companies. They took the time to educate us during this conference. If you're looking for more education on aquaponic cannabis, please consider the Aquaponic Cannabis Masterclass at apmjclass.com, featuring over seven days of in-depth, hands-on educational content with Marty Waddell and Stephen Reisner as your guides through the aquaponic cannabis universe. We'll cover everything from construction of large commercial facilities, home size systems, backyard systems, nutrients, pest control, diseases, everything you can think of and uh, and so much more so be sure to check that out at apmjclass.com and if you're looking for aquaponic cannabis or living soil uh, pest control courses please check out uh, thepestclass.com where we have a huge in-depth course on pest control how to make your own um, bio controls as well as in-depth guides and identification guides for a whole slew of different pests that you might encounter in your aquaponics garden. And it's not strictly just geared towards cannabis, uh, it's also geared towards vegetables as well. So be sure to check that out if it's something you think you might need to improve in your education.